0: Where, where's that? Did he, San Francisco? It it? Never, never heard, heard of it. it.
1: It's here. <laughs> it's very close. Okay, everybody remain calm. We've had some technical difficulties already. <laughs> Find a chair, this is relax. going. This is going okay. great. Don't panic. <laughs> Please just don't become a mob. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So, greetings, noiristas and others. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ben Terrell who uh, who is the you know the producer writer director of Namaste Motherfucker, and we're <laughs> expecting uh, a new edition out any minute, number nine. And if you want to, you could do pre-sales right here. Hey. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Just get your name and address.
2: Pre-sales and for
1: a zine. Pre-sales seen. for a zine. <laughs> it's a little <laughs> magazine. Are you raising the price? No. How much? Six. Six. Fifty. Six
2: fifty.
1: <laughs> yeah, you get your cut. Come on.
2: <laughs> and then also Ben uh, uh, has uh, known this guy over here, Dimitri somewhere for quite a long time. I think they were, were you're both hacks together, or no? no. I was, I had a, you were in Boston.
1: I was a hack before him, but um, I'll discuss some of the differences. Okay, well, you guys can
2: talk about that later. Anyway, there were a bunch of books up there at the, uh, oh, God, it, you know what? It's like the holiday season. What? They, they could buy multiple copies. Oh,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I forgot that.
2: <laughs> Why not? Uh, anyway, so enough about me.
1: Isn't Hanukkah
2: coming up? Yeah, Hanukkah started yeah, up, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a days ago. So. Yes, okay. One right there. every
1: night. The yeah.
3: There
1: we are.
2: So... Um, without further ado, I, I think we don't really. I have a couple things online. You can look on our website for that. We have a couple. Have a Zoom with somebody I don't even know. They're a friend, and I have to find out what that is because it's on Tuesday.
0: That sounds. Like, that and sounds and like it's going to be a great. And match, you find right? out before me. <laughs> but <I> mean,
2: <laughs> but uh, it's actually I have this like funny uh, connection to the state of Utah, where I have like a half family who are in the uh, well, let's say they're Latter Day Saints. And anyway, so all these Utah people kind of find out about me, and then this is a really cool guy who uh, did these hikes through um, uh, various parts that have now been returned to the people, um, like Bear's Ears and Escalante, if you've heard about that, and it's just fantastic. It's happening. Yay! (laughs) So, um, and then we were supposed to do uh, an event with Eddie Muller next week, but uh, at John's Grill, which is, you know, fantastic with, Rachel Hammett's daughter and all this stuff, but they got very timid because of this new um, uh, viral thing that kind of accelerated. So that said, we're gonna try to do it in January, and hopefully everything will be okay then. Um, but in the meet, and then in the, in the uh, doing some things with some great poets in the beginning of January, and people are kind of knocking on our door to do some things, and I'm kind of thinking, well, whatever I want to do. So um, we'll just keep track if you can, if you're not on our mailing list, please do that. And without further ado, I'm gonna give it to you, Ben?
1: No, don't give it to me. No, yeah, yeah, sure. (laughs) Do you wanna, should I introduce you? Sure. Yeah, so Dimitri, uh, as the people here who were lucky enough to read my column that I labored over that announced this, I said, um, and it's true, I met Dimitri when he was a uh, very happy high school teenager, uh, high schooler in Brookline, Massachusetts. He's really excited about coming to the U.S., Uh, came when he was eight, yes? Seven. Seven. And I don't want, I'm not going to tell you how old he was, he is, but he was born in 1970, so you can do the math. But so anyway, so he was really giddy of being in high school there, and I was really uh proud to be a cab driver and so we bonded over kind of like positivity we did this little we had this sort of uh this uh magazine we put together about uh the power of positive thinking and no actually the truth is that i hung out in the lobby of the coolidge corner movie has, uh with my friends who worked there, and Dimitri was working there, and I got to know him then, and I've known him ever since then, and we hung out, and he got a fake ID and went to see all these great bands with me, and then uh, actually read these books I gave him, like Nelson Algren books. And then, so I maybe have some degree of responsibility for him making the decision to drive cab because I drove for four years in the podunk, rinky-dink, lame town of Brookline, whereas he dove right into downtown Boston and then went to Chicago. And so his two books I just finished this week. um, I've read a bunch of them before. And um, one is, uh, well, I'll let Dimitri tell you about him to keep a little suspense building until he talks. And now I'm going to pass the mic. Oh,
0: wait, you have a mic. I, I got a mic. Okay, let's do this one. So, yeah, f- first question is, uh, is it okay if I take my mask off because I'm going to read? Is that okay with you guys? Uh, I'm all vaxxed and boosted and all the other shit, so. Yeah, I, I am just too.
1: And I want. Too, too, okay. yeah, cool. Is that... <laughs> I actually I think Jeff noticed Jeff noticed that I look better with it on a lot of people don't notice that until I take the mask off so if I take it off and you want me, to, I will put it back on if I have to
0: okay, thank you <laughs> thank you, thank you very much one way or the other, just just do, you know, make a decision here, come on uh, yay, <laughs> good job Ben forward <laughs> free, okay, go ahead Okay. So, uh, oh yeah, let's see. I guess I should talk into this. Yeah, uh, so during uh, lockdown, uh, I got basically two books done. The first of which is is this book called All Hack, which collects, uh, it's basically a, a, a remix or like a criterion collection redo of my two cab driver books which were published in uh, 2011 and 2014 originally, but especially with the second book, I had a lot of problems with the publisher, the layout. There was all kinds of problems. It turned out that the guy that published it was a crook that didn't pay authors. He was sued by many people.
2: Like Simon,
0: a shyster. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, yeah, he's he's since gone out of business more or less. He's selling his whole catalog for about like five cents a pop uh, without the author's permission. And, oh, yeah. and the more successful writers all suit him, like Samantha Irby. Like there's some other some people that went on to some actual uh, you know mainstream success. Me not being one of them. But uh, what I did decided to do was sort of. Wipe, wipe the experience out of my mind and redo it my own way. So.
2: You're Taylor Swift.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is an uncanny resemblance, <laughs> me and Taylor. This yeah. <laughs> is somebody I know nothing about, like nothing. I've been doing, just recently I've been doing this horror movie podcast with a millennial and she talks about Taylor Swift all the time and it's just a completely, like there's... I have nothing to say because I know nothing about her. Line
1: no, of TV so. dinners, right?
0: Taylor's. right. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> Anyways, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, prior to this book, I'd, I'd uh, sort of written and uh, designed and kind of found a uh, printer for this kind of hardcover format with a foil stamping, and I, I like doing that, so I thought I'd give it a shot with a... Redoing the cap thing, but when I got permission from my first publisher, University of Chicago, to reprint most of the most of that book, uh, I, I wound up basically rewriting the whole thing and reordering it. So, if any of you have read those first two books, this isn't exactly the same thing. It's it's the best version of these stories that I could come up with with some added stuff, some bonus features like a few essays and stuff about rideshare, the, the things that. Uh, that happened after I quit driving in 2012. And uh, it also reproduces uh, the zines that started out my whole cab driving, writing endeavor. Um, so I thought I'd, I'd just read a short thing out of this and then we could talk about that. Does that work? Yeah, yeah. Do I, should I not talk into this? No, Can you, you? you need to. I do? Yeah, I guess All I right. lost it back here. All right. It. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I think. index cards with nothing on them. Uh, they're, they're important though. Oh, okay. Okay, so this is called uh, Backseat Confessional and it sort of I think in, encapsulates sort of my, my cab driving experience. Uh, it's towards the end of this book. Uh, something about sitting in a taxi inspires people to unburn themselves. The stories often begin before their butts even hit the backseat. Like the confessional curtain, a cab door invites a certain sort of privacy and discretion. It's a space apart from the everyday, a place to reflect and think aloud uh, without the usual consequences and recriminations. In my 12 years behind the wheel, I heard secrets, admissions of guilt, as well as every kind of soul-searching imaginable. I had no training in counseling, whether spiritual or therapeutic, Yet, over over and over, passengers felt free to unburden themselves. The best I could usually do was just to listen. What do you say to a woman at 3 a.m. who tells you she can't decide whether to stay with her boyfriend? The boyfriend who refuses to acknowledge her religion or even respect it. The one her family hates and her priest counsels her to leave. The one she loves anyway. How about the drunk man who tells you at the end of the ride that he has no money to pay and that he's going to, going upstairs to his apartment and kill his wife who he believes is cheating on him. The soldier about to be redeployed talking on his cell phone about witnessing unprovoked killings in Iraq. Not all the things people shared were extreme, upsetting or unsettling, but most of them made me have to reckon with strangers' lives in a way I was often unprepared for. The question I was uh, most often left with after they paid and left the cab was, why did they feel so free to share? Anonymity had to be a large part of it. Stumbling into a cab after a frustrating night out at the bars, most of them figured that they'd never see me again, and thus were free to unload whatever was bothering them. The fact that there was usually a partition between us, and they were looking at the back of my head rather than facing me, probably helped as well. They couldn't tell their friends and family what they told me because they'd likely have to explain themselves, justify their actions, apologize, or otherwise backtrack. I never made any such demands, nor any demands at all, except that they pay the amount on the meter at the end of the ride. Surely the sum was much less than a shrink or a spiritual advisor would have charged them. The fact that I kept quiet and let them talk like likely encouraged them to keep going. I was never one of those chatty cabbies. I didn't offer unsolicited opinions or hold forth on the events of the day. In fact, most rides in my taxi passed in silence, aside from my asking where they wanted to go to and thanking them on their way out. I always figured that they were entitled to whatever sort of ride they wanted. After all, they were paying for it. I tried my best not to intercede, but every once in a while, I couldn't help myself. After listening to a sobbing woman describe in detail all the ways that her ex-boyfriend treated her like dirt, there was no way I couldn't tell her that it wasn't a good idea to go to his place at 5 a.m. just because he had drunk down to say he missed her. Come to think of it, I didn't even drive her anywhere. She got in and launched into her story, and we just sat there, double parked outside her apartment building. After I talked her out of the ride, she gave me $5, got back out, and went home. As I've mentioned before, I had no qualification to offer a counsel and no way to follow up to see if anything I suggested made any difference. There was no section in cab driver class to cover these situations. Nevertheless, despite not signing up for it in any way, shape, or form, throughout my 12 years driving a taxi in Boston and Chicago, people would plop down in the back seat and tell me all their troubles. I couldn't have been the only one this happened to. It has to be something inherent in the odd public-private space of a taxi that inspires this intimacy, this longing to talk of private problems. What do you do with these secrets, these stories, the passengers have left you with. In my case, their stories turned me into a writer. So, so that's the. <laughs> now you don't have to buy the book because I just told you everything that happens in anyway. it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Questions, comments? Did I get it? Was it all wrong? <laughs> yeah, it. You can pass
1: it? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to see? Do you want
3: to ask? Oh yeah, yeah, dude. Could I? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can I, go back and forth. Was that? doesn't I just wondering like, what did you tell the guy that uh, was going go really to go upstairs to kill his life. wife? I mean, you can't leave that <laughs>
2: sentence
0: on. Uh, I, I, I didn't tell him. Uh, basically, he was daring me to tell, uh, to, uh, but uh, I told him nothing. <laughs> I, 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 he was waiting. It was one of these deals where. He was trying to be. I, it felt like he was trying to be provocative or to freak me out. But at that, I, I was I was angry with him because he wasn't paying me for the ride, and that was. I had no idea how 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 truthful it was, and I mean, you know, one one thing I did learn early on in the in my cab career is not to chase people, chase after people after they run out without paying. And who knows what I would have walked at, into, there. That was just. I had to just leave that, but, you know, it stayed with me the rest of the night. And obviously, for years later, enough that I put it into a book, <laughs> it just hung there. <laughs> not, I mean, there's nothing you can do, you know. You're not, they do that on TV shows, you know, the, the Good Samaritan shows or whatever that you go and you can't do anything. You can talk somebody out of going somewhere, maybe, but, but not, I mean, the, the, the woman I mentioned that I talked out of going to the ex-boyfriend, that was an exception. I mean, yeah, most people that I drove went to the wrong places, you know, <laughs> and I wasn't going to stop them because they weren't asking me, you know. Oh, I
2: was going to, it really reminds me of uh, experiences hitchhiking, because I hitchhiked an awful lot, where there would be that same kind of confessional thing. Good point. Thing. Can I share one one little anecdote? That's just a fine one. Of course. I was hitchhiking, I went to Death Valley with some friends, we drove from here in the city, this was like in the early 80s, and we went to Las Vegas, and then um, uh, they were heading off to some other things, and I just hitchhiked, I I was going to hitchhike back to San Francisco, but by way of Hollywood, whatever, so I got, I was on Flamingo Road, and I got a ride from this guy who was going to L.A., and then little by little we were chatting and he was from Idaho. And I said, well, I've been to Idaho and Utah these various places. And then he goes, yeah, yeah. As it turns out uh, there had been a, a hijacking, of, remember the Jets that were hijacking, were getting hijacked back in the 80s. And, um, and there, was, um, there was a guy on, on the plane, this is the story he's telling me, that, um, he's, that he was part of this drug cartel and one of the guys on the plane was uh, going to turn state's evidence, and there was a trial starting in L.A. And he was going from Idaho to L.A. to um, rub this guy out. And so, and I thought, well, it, it, it could, be, could have been true, and I remember hearing thing on the news, but the way the guy was behaving, I felt it was totally true. And so we got to San Perdue, and I said, you know what, I'm, I have a cousin here, I want to get out <laughs> He was getting more and more agitated as we like, were going towards Los Angeles. And I got out of the car, and then he sped off, off and, uh, and then right after that, a cop came and stopped. And he, and he comes up to me, and he goes, you can't hitchhike. And I can still see, like, the assassin <laughs> going. <laughs> oh my god
3: nothing about me mm-hmm. cool uh, Yeah. have you yeah. had uh, passengers interact with each other that caused you a problem um i i, I had a similar i drove a cab myself and that's how i know been back in the home. but it was down here on the embarcadero and the woman was leaving some kind of stressful situation abusive and he came up to the cat and opened the back door before i had a chance to get away oh wow and i was in the middle of it i'm like miss what do you want me to do to leave sorry sir you have to shut the door so i kind of had to speed off quickly But yeah there's uh, yeah there's that definitely stuff that's happened. like, happen. that. yeah. like yeah. Cus- passengers interact with each other in a situation where you might get drawn in
0: yeah also like bad relationship like people couples that are in the middle of a fight that in- that would involve me in the fight, like yeah. the girl starting to like flirt with me and invite me into the bar with them, just to piss off the guy, stuff yeah. like that. Um, yeah. Just not not flattering. Like right. yeah. <laughs> no matter what they look like, but it's it's not. Yeah, you're just a, sort of like a pawn, and, and 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 in and their fucked up game kind.
3: You're, you're not just
0: listening. You're kind no of, kind of involved. No, and like uh, yeah, not. there's also there was always a contingent of people, Usually, guys that would want to be like chummy and talk and be like want to pretend like your friends, yeah. and uh, oh, yeah.
1: yeah, and they
0: so, want to ride in the front. That was a big thing. They want to ride in the front. They want you know, yeah, which is all that stuff is completely out the window with Uber. You know that that whole thing. One of the million one reasons why rideshare is so horrible. Is I that, want to play your radio. Hey, I put the, yeah. the the line of the yeah. You you're pretending like you're going with a friend in the car like. You're you not know, my friend. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you yeah. have other hard-hitting questions? Anybody from um, <laughs> a studio
1: audience? I had a
0: question from the, um, uh,
1: about a line from the book, and I have to...
0: Wait, you said that Ghislaine Maxwell was going to call in with...
1: That Mr. was, that was <laughs> Patrick's thing. She, okay. canceled. She, she canceled. She canceled? Oh, God damn it. All right. I, I don't know I've heard she has a good heart so oh wait we want to we've that. got we got oh, another uh,
3: question. I did, I, you know I drove I drove taxi as well and not very well <laughs> We didn't drive well <laughs> <laughs> please what I miss in, in they had radios two-way radios right yes. And some of the guys had it modified so they could hear what you were saying. Mm. I had one of the rental ones, so I could only hear what the dispatcher said. Yes. And that bollocks me so badly because they know when I was lost, or I'd say I was oh, at the yeah. train station uh, back in Connecticut when I was a block away. Oh man! And, and I didn't know you had to. T- I didn't know you had to tip the dispatchers. Uh, I yeah.
0: Didn't yeah. There was there was a ton of graft going on with oh. the dispatchers, but. Uh, I that, that was a big difference for me in the in the Boston section of my cab driving career. In the Chicago, is that there was a break from the live dispatcher to the to the digital the Gandalf system. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So in Chicago, for most of the nine years, I didn't have to deal with a live dispatcher. Right. And each of them would have their own style of the way you could address them and ways you couldn't. And it was such it was a shit show, <laughs> and they would always all the all the best. Fares were given off mic to their pals, yes, so were paying them totally, off, yeah. uh, which, you know, uh, at least nominally, the the computerized system got rid of. Although I'm am sure there was ways sure ways around it, place. but at least you didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I could see the same people going off getting the fares that I, I knew where they were going. The same guys always getting them. And this was you know pre cell phones, and you know, so you knew the the fix was in. Uh, yeah. So it was nice not to deal with the dispatchers and you know that that's one of the more accurate things that, on that show taxi the the Danny DeVito character the kind of you know the little Napoleon guy with drunk with power a, a lot of them were like that the the cab dispatchers yeah which Ben would know about yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. I remember there was a great you remember the guy uh Al DePiro's son at In red cap this guy this guy uh, it's, it's the a party crane out, the out there it's all the
2: menorahs going by oh With
1: a uh, a big cable car. Is is this like helping you get in touch with part of your heritage? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) God, yeah, but my my heart is just swelling right now. Dimitri's kind of Orthodox. Kind of Orthodox.
0: He's kind of of country, kind of rock. Thanks for losing the one thing uh, (laughs) Jews could be proud of, not proselytizing. You fuckers are doing (laughs) It's like what every fucking lousy Christian does.
1: I think it was for Jesus. <laughs> fuck you, menorah assholes. <laughs> uh, I, I wow. To...
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm a re- maybe we can move this
1: outside. I'm, the yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm not a very good representative of my <laughs> ethnicity or or religion or race or whatever the fuck. Jeff can are. help that. Jeff, you're worth it. I you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But, uh, yeah, I, I was thinking of various cab-driving things. But, oh, that Cal, Al DiPiro yeah. was a driver who was, uh, I don't know, a character. But yeah. then he had this son who we all thought was kind of uh, maybe like special needs guy or something. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with having an intell- intellectual had handicap, but to have a kind of... Uh, be on a power trip yeah. and think you know everything. <laughs> and I remember this one time he said, he used to say uh, he gave a guy directions to go the wrong way on the freeway, like go south when he, he should have gone north. Wonderful. And he said uh, sir don't tell me how to do my job. Oh, my God. Oh, so that was that was kind of their guess like Yeah. That. But Dimitri, I wanted to ask you about this one thing because it kind of resonated with me. He said on uh, in this little thing called Last of the Night on page two twelve, which I will hand to you in a second. You you talk about this kind of, this guy is kind of trouble. Yeah, and like as with a lot of these passengers, and I remember this because I drove at night too. A lot of there are a lot of uh, drunk people and high people, etc. And you say waiting to make a U turn, the other cab pulls even with me, and the driver shakes his head. Frantically to indicate that I'm making a mistake, yeah. but sometimes I'll take the wrong people just to see what will happen. Yeah, could you could you uh, expand upon that? You look at this. Oh no, no, I, I know what like you're idea.
0: talking about. Well, I, <laughs> that yeah, that's you know probably one of my million and one personality flaws. You know. Yeah. Just yeah. curiosity. Is that it's, curiosity? I think so. Uh, yeah, this guy had been kind of kind of stumbling around. Uh, he had two two uh, half-empty half bottles of Corona in each pocket of his jet sports coat, like one in each. <laughs> and uh, there was a line of cabs outside of a late-night bar, and uh, one or two cabs had refused him. And uh, every now and then, I would see somebody, and I just wanted to see what the story is. Hmm. So I took him, and it was not worth my while. <laughs> but yeah, you can read about that. I'm not going to read that. Uh, it, it's in the book. <laughs> I should try to at least attempt to sell one or two of these, right? Well, yeah, why not? Uh,
1: yeah, I recall being kind of uh, burnt out by a lot of the insanity that you mm-hmm. dealt with, too, and Russ dealt with, like, too many people in bars. There's a great line, by the way, of being sworn by drunks at some event, like uh, some kind of sports ball game or something. And... There are mobs of people and you say they they're jumping in front of the cabs and and there are a lot of cabs who won't pick these idiots up and he, he say they bellow louder as cabs pass as if their unique call might do the trick where others failed it's <laughs> a yeah. great line there are, there are great lines throughout this book and as you read through it the second half to uh to me builds up steam and You know, I was telling Dimitri, I was uh, cackling hysterically on the bus, which was really satisfying, because it was in the morning when everybody's quiet, you know, looking (laughs) at their phones, or they're like this. And I wasn't, like, trying to have an effect. It was just so fucking funny. And, you know, I had a rough morning, and I'm just like, I need a laugh, so I'm going to repress my laughter. And and so it's very... Pleasurable reading it, but I was going to say with uh, um, this is about you and your book, but I'm going to talk anyway about driving. Um, <laughs> to me, driving during the day, you had to. The worst thing was having to deal with uh, daytime traffic. I think. Yeah. But it was so much more of a routine, and it was the day drivers were like clocking in, and in our experience, we're. I drove with Russ, the night drivers were like,
0: it kind of gonzo, and it was, you never knew what was gonna happen. Well, yeah, that was a big part of it, and also, yeah, I found that in the morning, the people going to work were just mad at the world and mad at everything. That's right. In a way, in a brittle kind of way that was actually harder to deal with than the drunks. The drunks were like just big babies, and they could be, (laughs) they could be (laughs) pacified, and they could be tricked. And they were bad at counting money, which is also <laughs> yeah. a bonus, you know. There's all kinds of, and yeah, yeah, and every once in a while, like with babies, you know, they'd throw up. You know? <laughs> but, you know, but yeah, it was for me vastly preferable, that and a less rush hour. So, and also because what I like to do through most of my cap career was get up and try to do some paintings, some kind of art type things, and I like working in daylight, so it just evolved that I would start the, the, cab shift early afternoon usually and then work late into the night. Yes, Wendy?
2: I have a question um, about your art and your paintings and drawings. You talked a little bit about how you um, went back and revised some of the previous um, writing that you had done. Did you reconsider your artwork along with that or how did Yeah, you... there, there, there's
0: actually a bunch of uh, illustrations from the old books that I really hated and then I either swapped out or changed. Yeah. Wow. There, also, I mean, so the two books, uh, the first one was uh, Hack uh, Stories from the Chicago Cap, uh, was uh, kind of the, the structure was days of the week, so there's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And the second one whose name I'm not going to say, in the publisher, the asshole publisher is a crook. But that one was more of a thematic thing and it had more of kind of globe kind of essays about the business and stuff. I'd, it's actually probably a better book than the first one was. The first one was my first book. Uh, I didn't go to writing school. I've never taken a writing class. I mean, I went to art school. I'm dumb. You know, uh, but that writing that first book was my grad school and my writing seminar because I lucked out and got published by University of Chicago Press and dealt with my first editor is the whole deal. But, you know, it's kind of like a baby book. You know, it's like it's not, there's stuff at, at a kind of uh, smooth out some, some edges. <laughs> I to yeah, I, I rewrote pretty much the whole thing. Uh, to the best best I could. There's stuff I couldn't change, but there's some cringe worthy images and phrases and that I was happy not to have. Just but just stay on the arc for a second?
2: Like did you um, then, had you done artwork that you, you thought paired better with the new text that you had done? Or did you, like, draw to the new text or how did
0: you No, I, I didn't, I don't think I drew anything new, but I swapped out, I mean, I, there's some illustrations there that were done for other things or drawings that I swapped in and mm-hmm. just thought thematically as I was re-editing the text would work better. Uh, and, yeah, I'm, you know. I, I'll, I'll leave it to some, you know, s- some really bored, you know, grad student to, to trace what the differences are and what changed, but that's the, yeah. <laughs> I and I no longer have that roadmap. But yeah, this, this is, yeah, this book was kind of like the big, my, my first, uh, you know, uh, lockdown project, and uh, it, it definitely, yeah, uh, occupied my time pretty well for, for several months in 2020. Jeff, you had a question?
1: Yeah, so when you were writing it, it was probably, you know, very, very personal writing about your,
3: your experience. But in some ways, now, like, you know, the, the cab industry is dying. And it's,
0: oh, it's dead. It's dead. Yeah. It's, it's, kind <laughs> of it's a, been dead. A, a
3: historical document in a way.
0: It is, yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the funny things is so, right when the first book came out, it was optioned by a filmmaker was supposed to be John McNaughton, right? John McNaughton yeah it's a great great filmmaker but he was gonna his idea was to turn it into a TV series but in the meantime you know the cab industry died uh, so the first book came out in 2011 I quit driving in 2012 which was the year that uber came to Chicago and uber recruited me uh, it's it's in the book uh, I mean and they gave me an iPhone with the app and there was no business at all but it was like looking into a crystal ball and I knew that if the cab industry didn't make an app or do something, they'd be dead, and they didn't. So now they're dead. So they have no- nobody but themselves to blame. And they weren't better than Uber. They were just the old version of what Uber is, you know? Yes, Patrick. I have a question. So
2: <laughs> uh, the other day, this past week, my sister-in-law uh, was at uh, the Dolphin Club that she belongs to. some on the bay. And then she was going up to her old restaurant, which is at Filbert in Columbus. And she looked on one of those Uber or Lyft. I've never taken either of them. but um, And it was $40 to go from like basically the foot of Columbus oh, up yeah. to Filbert Street.
1: So It's like a $4 cab ride, right? Yeah.
2: yeah <laughs> somehow she got a cab and it was like $8. I mean, all together I think it was $8 including the tip.
0: So what was the, what's the question, though? <laughs> well, how can they sustain forty fucking dollars? <laughs> is, it sur- is, is that still search? Yeah, it's search. It's yeah, it's it's we'll the same way out. that you know Amazon can change prices as demand you know up, yeah. it fluctuates. It's real time. They can, it's whatever they can get away with, so as long as you keep funny. taking those those rides, they'll keep right. doing it. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know.
2: Are people gonna say fuck you
0: eventually now? Maybe. But they're I mean they're basically the only game in town. Yeah. You know, I don't take them because I don't have a smartphone. I, that's a separate conversation. I ah, okay. quit smartphones six six and a half years ago. We could pour people
1: to tears with that one, you and me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> they know, they know, right? <laughs> it's a price.
3: It's yeah. yeah, now
0: it's it's fun after yeah, lockdown sorry. all these all these restaurants have the, the QR code menus. And uh, if they don't give me a paper one, I just leave. Me too. (laughs) You know? It's like, sorry, there's other places I can eat. (laughs) You know? Sorry, you had a question.
2: Yeah, my question is when you said you you re-edited and that your writing is better, can you be more specific? Like what actually changed in your writing? And did you lose some of the rawness that probably? Uh,
0: I mean, I think it's, like anything, it's just reps. I mean. In the, in, the, in the time, in the decade between the, the publication of the first cat book and, and this book, uh, I've, you know, I've been making at least part of my living from ri- writing of various kinds, journalism, and I just do a lot of writing. And so, it's just gotten better. I mean, through the first edits of the first book, the editors kind of beat a lot of bad habits out of me, these, the starter habits of aping, the style of your favorite writer. Like the beginning when Hack started I did this whole ellipsis thing which came from Celine from directly from Death on the Installment (laughs) Plan. Because it was a favorite book. Back when I was working at the at the movie theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the whole book it's an eight hundred page book without a paragraph. It's just fragments of of speech. It's a great, great book, but like if you're not Celine, it it will not work. You know, (laughs) And uh, yeah, one of the early editors uh, kind of like browbeat me into getting rid of that and using standard sentences. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it's just experience, you know, I've just done a lot, a lot of writing and it's become uh, a regular thing rather than just this weird reaction to a, a stressful job that I needed an outlet for that I couldn't, I couldn't manage just by visual art. Yeah.
3: Um. While you were, like, driving a cab and getting used to that, was it always in your mind, like, going to write a book about it? Oh, or, no, no. Because,
0: I mean, most cab drivers are like, I could write a book. I mean, I, no, I, I uh, thought that, but... my very it first, my first attempt uh, to do it. At, at writing anything came, let's see, three or four years after my first stint, the stint in Boston. Okay. So in about the year 2000, I made a zine called Hack, Right. Which is okay. what slowly led to to the book. Right,
3: and you've got you've got these stories. Like, yeah, they kept eating in at your head. It. Like most, most camp yeah. Yeah, I've yeah, never yeah. so i never
0: written it. I hadn't written anything but a homework assignment. Okay. Uh, prior ever, okay. I'd never sat down and re- written anything until I was thirty. You know. So. Interesting. And then yeah, when I started driving in Boston again, in uh, 2003, I revived Hack as a blog because then I. I'd learn how to use a computer, okay. <laughs> thanks to Deborah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she taught me how to turn on a computer and help build my website and stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, but no, uh, and then I had no, you know, I had no contacts and no in in the publishing industry, but a, a few people kind of started reading the blog and uh, there's an old, old uh, classmate of mine who worked at the movie theater named Ooh. John Hodgman, uh, who, you know, mentioned in some magazine interview this this zine called Hack, and that led to somebody at University of Chicago Press reaching out to me. So it was a completely charmed path to publication. I mean, nobody has a story like that, and every book after that has been just, you know. Just a slog and torture in various ways. Uh, after the first one, it's it's all like reverse backwards, just like every everything else. Yeah. Okay. So no, yeah, no, no thoughts about writing at all until much, much later in life. I
1: have a I have a slog and torture question. All right. Uh, full dis- so full disclosure. I drove for a company in the tail in the four 42 in Dimitri's hometown, where the Coolidge Horror Movie House was. Uh, that was in the tail end of uh, a unionized uh, uh, fleet that had drivers who drove commission. So Dimitri talks about that some in this book that he missed that era. But, you know, I look at the hours that Dimitri and other people do when they're driving lease. And uh, I think, how did you have time to see these bands in Chicago, read these books, and do art, and write, because I remember, you know, one summer in Wyoming when I was 20, doing double shifts, but I've never in my life had a job where it was minimum 12 hours, six or seven days a week. And uh, just I just try to imagine doing that and not making much money, and, you know, like, because have, being a the difference is with uh, being a commission driver, you split what's on the meter with the company. So if it's a shitty night, they want you to stay out. Yeah, you're but an you employee just say, Fuck of the you. company. I'm not. You're not
0: an independent contractor. Yeah, and yeah.
1: so they would hassle you yeah. about not driving enough. But you would put up and split what was on the the meter. And then, of course, there were all these unprincipled people that would take money from the millionaire that owned the company by not putting everything on the meter. <coughs> I would I would never have done that as Rustin. <laughs> But, uh, so that's a different story, but that's, uh, but just trying to imagine how you had the time and the energy to focus on the things I mentioned. How, how'd you work that? Cause that was like for years and years and years. Yeah. was a lot of it gestation then, or I know you use Twitter in the cab to record stuff. And he has, he has lines from Twitter. that are really great in the back of this book.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, you know, the, well, as far as Twitter, I mean, you know, the kind of like the the peak of my Twitter usage was and the only time I thought I was really good at it was was tweeting things like kind of front like as they happen like kind of what Twitter's good for like what reporters use it for when they're on a scene of a story Mm -hmm. and it's like this direct you know first person report report, reportage kind of thing and then that that led to it being notes for things I could later pull over and write about. I mean, I, I read, I wrote a bunch of the, er, like, early entries for the blog on, on a Blackberry, pulled over in the cab, you know, mm. because I wanted to not forget what somebody said or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just this right note taking, right. yeah. 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 Uh, but as far as just doing all the other stuff, I mean, it's, it's like what I'm built for, is just making, making this work, you know. <laughs> How much did he sleep? <laughs>
1: no, I always wonder that with
0: people and, like and i mean for many many years at a time, like having virtually no personal life, mm-hmm. you know like i have I have the art- artwork and I have the job, and then you know I'd stop off and see a band or something and go home and just do it again mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah the like the the shifts in boston were were twelve hour shifts mm-hmm. uh most of the ones in in Chicago were twelve or longer uh the, the the tail end of the boston thing I, I had it down to a science where i would drive 24 hours straight and i was living with like four roommates and i could sustain i could pay rent and my bills just off that one shift a week but that was the tail end of the the, the boston years well that's when you had it down that, and that was the, the most efficient thing right? but i had to live it with four roommates one of whom was like an insane you know person with a drug problem also, you know, doing lithium and doing recreational drugs. Oh you know, you turn on a di dy- like laughing and then screaming the next minute, that kind of deal. Uh, yeah, good times. <laughs> yes?
2: Okay, so, um, did you ever run into anybody again, or did anybody who you ever wrote about ever get in touch with you or recognize themselves
0: or? Uh, very, very rarely. I mean, one of the great things about it, that job was the anonymity of it. Uh, Uh, There was one woman uh, in in the Chicago years that she must have uh, seen me on Twitter or something. And she she turned out to be a a manager of an indie band. And it was a totally positive thing and she was flattered that I mentioned it. it, Yeah, it was like a positive thing. But yeah, like the negative stuff or the scary stuff, I mean those people are way into whatever they're into. They have no idea anybody's looking. And it's like one of the big differences between... Mm. The, the cab writing and the, the bar the bar stories. So I had to turn the bar stuff so I after I quit driving a cab eventually I drifted to, to bartending. Uh and the big difference with that is you're more of like a known personality and you have regulars and I had to change names and I I have people that are no longer speaking to me because of this bar book. But I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it or Yeah, I hope yeah. we do. Uh uh, and, but yeah, very different, but different side of the, but it's still the service industry. You're still, there's a class thing. There's a thing of where you're part of a delivery system, you know, so I was delivering people to the bars or from the bars. And then I was, you know, just an appendage that was serving them a beer, you know, uh, still not a person, still able to disappear and watch them and listen. So I was doing the same thing. Do you want to read a passage from Wolveside? Sure. Yeah. So you will switch. So this is, yeah, yeah just to introduce, this is the, the newest book which came out in April. It's called Old Style, after the most popular beer in Chicago, uh, and luckily I, I guess the corporation that owns the brand Old Style, which is not the original, hasn't sued me, so I guess they're cool with me hand-drawing their logo on the cover and not crediting, not asking for permission. I, I, yeah, there's a, there's an afterword where I I t- asked them not to sue me. <laughs> that I don't think I ever sort of cast aspersions on their brand or anything. It's a really really bad beer, but uh, people love it, and it's sort of for for a long time for many years. Uh, every neighborhood bar had an old style sign, and that's why the book is called old style. So I'll just read I'll I'll read uh, like the the first chapter, which kind of sets it all up. and uh yeah it's called flyover it's not how it used to be it never was the western flyover goes down quick built ease traffic around riverview park it has in recent times become a rundown eyesore the park where so many chicago children uh, rode roller coasters ate cotton candy went on first dates Bulldozing and gone 50 years when the wreckers come for the overpass. I watch the machines whacking away at the concrete of the pockmarked bridge until the rebar sticks out all over like frayed nerve endings. A small crowd gathers to gawk. A fat man shimmies up a nearby light pole and furiously snaps photos. I stand back a bit closer to the marathon station where American United Taxi used to be. In a year, this gas station will be gone. The building across the street, where a Chicago dispatcher cabby newspaper and the point diner were, is now an empty lot behind a chain link fence. As each structure disappears, bits of my history follow. What remains is mutable, growing fuzzier every time I remember. With no buildings as proof, the time I spent in them feels made up. The blue light is a corner bar in the middle of a block. The old-style stand- sign, swinging at all hours against the whipping wind, doesn't say Gimna like so many around Chicago. Just blue light. The bar stands where the northern end of the overpass used to be. A typical Chicago two-story building with an apartment upstairs and a, and a business on street level. After 9-11, the jukebox was full of America will put a boot in your ass songs. They would have been on there even even if the Twin Towers still stood. The blue light was a dump. The kind of place where promotional Budweiser ads hung dusty and fraying decades after the beer reps dropped them off. Years after what they advertised is no longer on the market. These posters were the decor because the owners didn't care about what their bar looked like and because they were free. But the day I watched the overpass come down, the blue light is no longer that blue light. There's now a big picture window and exposed brick walls inside. The bar is is along the north wall of the room rather than the south, the way it was in my day. Also, many flat screen TVs peering in It's clear it's been out of business for some time. I haven't been inside since long before Sharon and Kenny sold it. I think back a few years to when I dropped off a couple here in my cab. They were fighting the whole way. She started flirting with me, asking if I'd park the cab and go in with her. She was doing it to piss off her boyfriend, but it came off as a perfect example of what the blue light had always been. A dark place where men and women go to treat each other badly. I did my best to soothe the guy's ego as I let the couple out into the oversized midst of the gorilla guarding the door. This is definitely not my blue light. Sharon and Kenny were way too cheap to hire a bouncer. I got lead in my pencil, but no one to write to. The punchline to Wes's favorite Viagra joke. He tells it every time. I'm happy to pretend to laugh because it's one of the few in Wes's repertoire without the word nigger. Wes is built like a fire hydrant, a squat bald man who fancies himself a real cut up. He's a doorman at a big, uh, at a big uh, apartment building. When he isn't bitching about uh, the rich people who live there, he's ragging on his co-workers. All worthless niggers, according to Wes. A couple hours and a dozen Miller lights in, he gets weepy. Asks if I ever met Gail, his dead ex-wife. Wes is my favorite regular at the blue light. I turn away from the bar's darkened facade and look where the overpass used to end. I can see across Western Avenue now to the sprawling cop station on the other side. When I worked there, I'd listen for car and motorcycle engines idling then cutting out as regulars parked underneath the ramp. I see Timmy the cabbie's American United Crown Vic left angled sideways while every other car is perpendicular to the roadway. He's inside trying to mooch a dollar stein of old style off Wes or Bill or one of the others. Timmy's face is scuffed and scratched like he'd used it to screech to a halt outside the bar to save the cab's brakes. I see Bill's behemoth Harley, tassels detailing storage racks and all. Hard to believe it never collapsed under the mountain of a, of a man after he walked out of the bar. A case of Miller Lite augmenting his prodigious gut. Sue's out there, her SUV idling, as she talks on her cell. She's still in her Wrigley garb. She'll run inside in a minute or two, breathless, ready to get behind the bar or sit and drink with her girlfriends it's her night off. Tommy used to sleep in the underpass sometimes. I see him out there near closing time waiting to come in to mop the floors in exchange for bottomless old style. Tommy was the first one I got to know at the blue light after Sharon. I see the shithead I cut off earlier in the night loitering in the shadows waiting for me to come out after I've thrown away the empties. Does he have a gun? A knife? A bunch of his deadbeat pals posse up to kick my ass. I knew about Riverview Park long before I got to Chicago. I read about it in a book. It's where Lefty Bicek takes Steffi on their date before leaving her in a, a basement to get gang raped by guys he's known all his life. Now there's a cop station and a strip mall where the park used to be. Cops came into the blue light and put their service weapons on the bar before ordering frosty mugs of old style. I wonder if they kept coming once it changed hands and the flat screen TVs were installed. I have no idea what kind of bar it became, but doubt it was one where it was okay to put a gun down next to your drink. All that was 20 years ago. Now I work at another bar across town. My life is totally different. So that's... That's the setup to this this book. <laughs> <part. laughs> it's yes, yeah, as you see, it's related to the there's cap there's overlap and uh, like I say at the beginning of the book, it's fiction, but I didn't have to make anything up. I had to change some names and I tweaked some uh, some of the timeline to fit better. But yeah, no reason to make anything up. I don't know. Is <laughs> Lefty by check?
1: character is from Nelson Algren,
0: right? Yeah, it's from Never Come Mo- Never no, Morning. Never Come Morning, which is a book that you gave me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that Nelson Algren book, amongst other things, was what introduced me to Chicago many years before I ever got there.
1: And you had a, you had a Nelson Algren Twitter account, yeah? Right? I did, right? yeah. What was that? I mean, what did you post on it? It was like quotes? Oh, oh right? just, yeah, Quarts.
0: just just excerpts, yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, I, I sort of got tired of doing it, and I handed it off to a friend who uh, didn't keep it up either. I mean, as as with so many of these things, uh, you know, there's a first flush of enthusiasm. But then, you know, once there's not either encouragement or money involved, you just, it, it peters out, you know. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's still archived. You? you can find it, uh, you know. There's yeah. a, do you know about this book, Republic of Detours,
1: about the Federal Writers Project? Mm-mm. It has a really good chapter on Nelson Algren. Mm. I'll tell you about it later when I'm not on a microphone. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, that's bonus content. Yeah,
1: that's <laughs> bonus content. It'll Once be on the, in, on the DVD. Yeah, on the DVD of this conversation. Oh, yeah, so at the end of Old Style, there's uh, something. that's like as uh,
0: even more... Uh are you gonna talk about the slander chapter? Yeah, thing? yeah, yeah, the slander <laughs> chapter. No, it's it's a. Uh, th- it's my acknowledgments are afterward. The uh, acknowledgments are slander. great. I yeah. highly
1: recommend you read all the way through to the acknowledgments and the <laughs> the thank yous. No, thank yous probably But one seventy two I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Okay, so you have it's like it's kinda like when the drunks get in the cab and you can't get them out. You're, it's getting to be last call, and you got to deal with these idiots, right? And, uh, you know, you have to be polite, but you have to be firm, blah, 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 blah. And um, so the guy's saying, uh, it, when I go back to him, he tells me I should probably throw away the glass I served him water, and this is cutting to the end. That it might be contagious, because he had pink eye. Yeah. And so the guy says, if it's not one thing, it's another. Let me give you a piece of advice, don't ever mess up. So I wanted you to comment on that,
0: on that <laughs> advice. Don't ever mess up? Don't ever mess up. I don't up. think I've heeded his yeah, advice. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought, I just wanted But, to find yeah, out. but this, was, this was a man that was just released from jail on his way to a homeless mission who came into the bar and announced that he had pink eye. And he wanted directions to where the mission was. He'd been wandering around. He got let out of the jail. He didn't know where he was. Uh, yeah. The, well, yeah. One of the one of the sadder interactions. But of course, it's these are the things that stick with me, you know. Because yeah. So so the bar you opened the book with that you just read the
1: passage about um, so, the bl- bl- blue light. Yeah. Yeah. That that was clearly a place where you did not. Click with the cops who put the guns on the bar, yeah. and the one guy was your favorite. customer was pretty horrible, and but the other bar. Could you say something about the difference between them? The other right. bar Right. So yeah, the, the book. Or the book you is uh,
0: it's a series of kind of interconnected and interrelated stories that take place in two bars in Chicago, basically in the twenty-year span between nine eleven and lockdown. Yeah, I mean, you know the yeah. COVID kind of uh, gave me an exclamation point. I had it, I had pretty much an ending to the book, but it was, yeah, COVID was kind of the cherry on top. Uh, so the other bar, which is called the albatross in the book is based on a couple of other bars that I worked in and where I actually made friends. And there were bars that I would go to on my own <laughs> rather than unlike the blue light, which I wouldn't have gone to on my own. <laughs> But the Blue Light was the first bar that I bartended at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was a late night bar, Mm -hmm. closed at four o'clock. And basically the only busy time at the Blue Light was between two and four in the morning. The rest of the time, it was a series of kicking out the same regulars, cutting them off and telling them they had to leave. It was
1: was a Groundhog's
0: Day kind of situation. And I didn't, I think I didn't have a single drink in the year that I worked at the Blue Light. Because, yeah. then that section actually started also as a zine called Dive and with the subtitle of uh, My Rings, uh, My Year Sitting Ringside to Hell. And just watching those people drink and abuse each other uh, every, you know, for three, four times a week was, yeah, talk about a scared straight situation. <laughs> but, yeah, the other bar, uh, the Albatross, was uh, up until recent. So I, I actually quit bartending about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Unhappily, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> that's another story. Yeah, I'm still working through what happened there, but uh, yeah, I mean, I this is, I put the I worked on that this book for a few years, but I finished it um, during lockdown, and I kind of made my peace with the fact that I was convinced that the bar I'd worked at would not reopen. I didn't think they would because the owners are kind of retirement age and they're very, very hands-off, but weirdly enough, they reopened last summer and it was weird and and uncomfortable and there was a lot of situations that were not good and uh, I quit. Uh, they didn't invite you back exactly, right? Uh, well, they were, they did not bother to ask why I was quitting, so that kind of glued me into the fact that I was making the right decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because you know, like, why would you go somewhere where you're not wanted? You know. But so in that, but
1: in that other bar, the second bar, you felt like there was real camaraderie and there was a a kind of a spirit that uh, kept people going. Oh yeah. Because they connected and they had fun and they weren't just yeah dead end. uh, No, no.
0: But it was also it was you know it was definitely shown during lockdown how many for how many people, it was the focal point of their whole social life. Because uh, one of the regulars, who is now my landlord, like a a day after lockdown started this thing on Zoom, like these cocktail hour things that got big. He started the day after and kept it going for the whole time, I think, that the bar was closed, which was 15, we were closed for 15 months. it was definitely a lot of camaraderie, and there's a lot of other good stuff. I mean, I got to play my own music there. That was a big, big deal for me, mm. Love, lo- not, not having to deal with a jukebox that played, you know, 9-11, you know, like, America <laughs> Rara songs. You know? <laughs> so, that, yeah, there, there's a lot of perks. There's, you know, it's the best, best job I've ever had. I've, you know, I've never had a salary job. I've never had a real, real job because I've always just been trying to make a living doing this stupid art thing that I just can't stop doing, (laughs) you know. Uh, Yeah, I never learned how to do that. Uh, So, uh, yeah, for for you, you know, I I was at that bar up until a month ago for almost seven years. Uh, Very, very part-time, but uh, it served a need.
1: But you said, Dimitri has a newsletter um, that uh, I get the... uh, Bonus edition of where I pay a huge amount of money. No, it's not a very fair amount of money to get a lot of art and links to articles and stuff that Dimitri writes, Uh, and in there you wrote about being able to for the first time in your life to support yourself from art even though you're doing it includes doing commercial art that your younger self would have hated you yeah. doing. You know, yeah, personally, like, like, I never in a million years would pass judgment on something like that because I don't see why it's better to tend bar to off duty cops than to do art on
0: commission. I just, like, don't see.
1: I don't, I mean, uh, seems like a good thing. So I was wondering about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it took, uh, yeah, I guess I had some weird code of ethics where. I decided. I mean, I knew I went to art school. I knew I wouldn't make any kind of living. I immediately started driving a cab. So I thought there would be the separation. I'd do the art, and I'd have the shit jobs, you know. Mm-hmm. And there and and they would never intersect. Mm-hmm. And you know, occasionally I would sell art, but I never depended on it. Uh, but as the years went on, and it, it became harder and harder to devote. You know, fifty, sixty hours a week doing a thing that meant nothing, you know, mm. which all these jobs are, they mean nothing, you know. You, you do the, you make the best of it, you know, like you make, you make a zine or like you make something out of it. Uh, make books, but uh, yeah, so yeah, it was probably not until I was like 40 that I would stoop so low as to do like a pet portrait, which is a chunk of my living now. Is, pet, portrait. pet portraits. <laughs> They're so great. Thank you, yeah. Thank you but like Thirty or even thirty-five year old Dimitri would, would sneer at that shit and like would not accept that. That's just whoring. You know, like that's not that's whatever little talent I have, like wasting energy and time on that. Like somehow it's preferable to drive drunks around. <laughs> I, I told you I wasn't you smart, I went one. to art school. <laughs> I don't have a real college education, you know. So, well, yeah. uh,
1: Patrick's making these desperate expressions of wants to close. Yeah. People probably want to leave, and uh, and you know, I know uh, somebody wants to buy a book. We could Dimitri wants to hear me talk all night, but mm-hmm. I know you guys have to go. But I just wanted to say that there are books for sale, as we mentioned earlier. But there's also um, original art. That all has. signed,
0: signed and numbered. All the books are signed and numbered. These hardcover books, but mm-hmm. Can yeah, you say sort? Yeah, too? I brought. So yeah, I actually drove to. San Francisco. I've never done that before. It was, kind of, it was really cool. But so, Yeah, I drove. Oh my God. Yeah. In Chicago? In two days. Wow. Two days. Wow. Well, the, the, this is where the cab driving experience came in handy. <laughs> yeah. I can just drive and drive and drive. Wow. Yeah, 17 hours the first day, 15 the second. Did you
3: drop middle or did you go north?
0: 80 the whole way. Oh, wow. Straight okay. shot, 80. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've
3: done it. How's your back? I mean, not from the ride, but from being a driver
0: uh well luckily i don't own a car i drive like once a month now maybe like i, I rent cars or we have a, i don't know do you guys have Zipcar zip car here I, like that yeah uh, like when I have errands, I just do that uh i rarely drive I, you know i I, I do it as little as possible but yeah the it was one of the many reasons I quit driving a cab was the the physical toll uh yeah the other <laughs> yeah not just the aching back. Did but you again. bring art? You brought, you so I that. brought these things. Yeah, I, I do all kinds of weird projects. I, I got it into my head that my dad has been send, sending me these Russian poems, and I've been brushing up on the Russian. I even got a Cyrillic language typewriter, and I typed out a selection of the poems and made this limited edition thing in a folder with a collage on the front. There's only 20 of them, and I brought a couple to sell. So. Unfortunately, you, you'll need a Russian translator for the poems, or you can just look at them. Or, or but on the on the it? on the facing page of, uh, of in the folder is a couple of lines of interpretation or like ideas in a sketch of either the writer or something uh, in the poem. So there's that, and then there is some one of a kind bookmarks that it, that I brought. And, there were and five I'll, bucks. Five bucks for the bookmarks. Twenty-five for the book thing. Uh, and then all the books, all the, the four books that I've made myself, soup to nuts. So, And then a free postcard with any purchase. Yeah, postcard, oh, matchbooks
1: too. Old, and match Old books, style yeah, matchbooks
0: yeah. that are free. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. cool. Thank okay. you so much.
1: Thank you. I, I just wanted to close with one last thing and thank Dimitri, of course, and thank you all for coming. But I wanted to ask Dimitri if he can guess, and it has to do with driving. <laughs> What my favorite line from Repo Man is.
0: I do not, because...
1: The more you drive, the less intelligent you are. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm living proof of that. Yeah, me too, me too. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.